Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hits! Browns are going to win! Bayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. fans now cover two a podcast on the cleveland browns hey there everybody welcome back to the podcast this is dan kadar nate oracle will be joining me here shortly before we get going on the podcast this week don't forget we are brought to you by usa today sports plus it's a new look by our friends over at usa today at sports and uh it's it's different it's unique uh, nate actually has a really good story up on their site right now about darius garland uh, the Cavs guard very talented player it's a really good story about uh, he and his father just in time for father's day so you can check that out over at usa today sports plus or you can check it out on the beacon journal website beaconjournal.com sports um, with with all that said, Nate, uh, would you like to share share the news off the jump with everybody, or do you want me to? How do you want to go about this uh, announcement? Well, I w- I'll share my news, and then uh, you can share your news. Sounds good. All right, cool. So um, I've tweeted this, so uh, a lot of people um, listening – may have seen it but i am no longer the browns beat writer for the beacon journal and the usa today network um chris easterling is now the browns beat writer i think he's going to do a great job he's hit the ground running um i've been able to work with him get to know him and uh he is uh definitely up for the the task I am going to be transitioning, and I've already started, um, but uh, more and more I'm going to be diving into my new role, which is going to be, uh, you know, staying in the Beacon Journal USA Today Network sports realm. But instead of just covering the Browns, I'm going to be branching out and bouncing around to different sports. I'm still going to be helping with the Browns. I'm still going to be... uh, covering pro sports, but I'm also going to be uh, doing a lot of, uh, you know, high schools, colleges, uh, you know, our local Northeast Ohio athlete stories, Um, you know, some of our really interesting people in the area who uh, have gone on and done great things and are doing great things in the professional ranks and, you know, Olympics, you know, just countless opportunities to to tell interesting stories about people from northeast ohio so i'm going to be doing 
uh, a lot of feature stories, enterprise stories, and I'm really excited about it. I think it's really what I, you know, most passionate about and you know, kind of what I do best. So I think I'm going to be doing, you know, the stuff that's in my wheelhouse on a regular basis. You know, with the Browns beat, it's really hard to do that because you're constantly on call for news. You know, the NFL news cycle never stops. It's 24-7, 365. So you're covering the team. You're trying to stay on top of all the updates. You're trying to, you know, write analysis. Um, Dan, I think we've been doing this podcast. We were talking before you hit record. We don't know the exact date because our archives are a little messed up, but uh, due to some technical issues. But I'm thinking seven or eight years we've been doing this almost on a weekly basis. Um, you know, so there's a lot that goes into the Browns beat and I would try to write, you know, good, interesting stories about players and, uh, you know, different things going on with the team coaches, you know, GMs, but just the way the beat is structured and the, the, the demands of the beat, you know, that it's hard to get to those stories as often as I'd like to. So I'm going to be able to do that more often. Um, and I, actually had a pretty sweet start to the new gig. Uh, I got to thank the bosses for letting me pursue a story that I've really wanted to do for a while now. Never had an opportunity to do it while on the, on the Browns beat, but you know, you mentioned at the top, Dan, like, you know, Darius Carlin's an all-star point guard for the Cavs. He's from Gary, Indiana. He is the son of an NBA, a former NBA player, Winston Garland, who's a Gary legend. And my kind of professional journalism career post-college started in Northwest Indiana. I worked for a newspaper out there about 15 years ago, and I got to know Winston Garland out there, Darius's dad. Um, you know, Winston, uh, he coached, you know, local high school basketball there, um, but he also did something extraordinary, uh, very interesting. He used to run a program a uh, recreation program in the Indiana State Prison, which is in Michigan City, Indiana, federal maximum security prison. And I went in there uh, in my early 20s, a young journalist, uh, and spent a day in the prison uh, writing, uh, hanging out with Winston and talking to him and, you know, uh, men in the prison uh, who he worked with. Um, basically, they would have small college basketball teams come in and play um, the prison team that, that, you know, Winston oversaw. So we formed a, a bond through that experience. And, um, all these years later in 2019, you know, I've obviously been at the beacon since 2010, had the Browns beat since then, um, 2019, the Cavs draft Winston's son, Darius. And I just thought it'd be awesome to one day be able to, you know, kind of reconnect with Winston and do a, um, you know, a story about how he's influenced his son, you know, as a basketball player, as a young man. And with Father's Day coming up, I said, wow, this could be a really fun story. And the planets or stars kind of aligned because they were having a, a, a youth basketball camp out in Northwest Indiana, uh, where it all started for, for Winston and certainly where he raised uh, Darius until they moved to Tennessee after, um, Darius finished sixth grade. So luckily, despite the prices of gas, which are, as we know, extraordinary right now, <laughs> the bosses let me go out there and hang out with the Garlands for a day. And the Garlands 
let me go out there and gave me great access. And I interviewed Darius and, and Winston and Darius's mom and, and, and Winston's wife. In addition to Darius's, you know, longtime trainer who, you know, works with other NBA players as well. So it's like an amazing opportunity to interview all those people for like, you know, more than an hour and hang out with them. And, and, and walk around and watch them interact with kids and each other for like four or five hours. Um, it was a day. And I'm really thankful to be able to start the new gig that way. I thought it was awesome. So like, you know, cheap plug here. But yeah, um, we say support local journalism. And I think this is a great example of, uh, you know, why we believe that that's a worthy cause. I mean, obviously, it's our jobs, it's our livelihoods. But, you know, our company paid me to go out or, or paid the expenses to go out there and get some access that nobody else uh, had. And and I think it was, uh, you know, a great opportunity. I'm glad we were able to do it. So if, if anybody's listening and I really believe this is a good idea, if you don't have a Father's Day gift yet, and you need something last minute, subscribe to the Beacon Journal and send your dad, uh, you know, that that subscription and, and, and email him a link to that story because um, I really enjoyed doing it. And I hope uh, some of our listeners uh, enjoy reading it. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful, different look at a NBA star that you don't often get to see. And, you know, as expected, you hit the ground running. Uh, with, with what your new role is and you know at the end of the day the, the job of a, a journalist is to deliver the news and tell stories and now you're going to be in a position where you know now that you don't have to worry about the nuts and bolts of what's happening with the Cleveland Browns you're going to get to focus on these tremendous stories and you know, everybody listening to this knows that Nate has a wonderful uh, gift of storytelling. So he's going to get to do that on a more consistent basis. Um, it, look, from a personal level, does it suck? Uh, yeah, I think Nate has been the best person on the beat uh, for a real long time. And I, Yes, I'm, of course, biased in that probably, but I, I believe it's the case. Uh, nobody works harder. Than, than he does. So uh, difficult shoes to fill. Uh, I too am confident Chris Easterling will be able to to fill your shoes uh, on the Browns beat and do a great job. And the real cool thing is that, like Nate said, he's not going anywhere. So he's just doing something different. Um, so it's, it's going to be fun. All that goes to say, however, um, given that Nate is – off the Browns beat. I also had a, a job change here with Gannett, uh, the company that, that owns the Beacon Journal and all of our other sites. Um, I have more of a managerial position now with the, the part of the work that I do. Um, I We are ending uh, the podcast with Nate and I uh, is the, I guess the, the, the takeaway. And um, I think it's going to continue in the same space. I know we we finally just got back on Apple Podcasts, so it should continue. 
I think the plan is for it to continue. It won't be Nader I, so our our mumbled Browns talk will will be concluding on on these uh on this podcast, but you know, I, I think we're gonna be in good hands. So stay subscribed, all that kind of stuff. Um I, I'm pretty sure it's going to continue, just maybe with some different names. So, uh, with all, with all that said, Nate, you want to want to talk about some of your some of the memorable things that happened while you were on the Browns beat this whole time? Uh, you wanna, sure. Yeah. A um, yeah. couple of things, real quick though. First of all, I, you know I've told you, but I want to say it on the podcast. Just a huge congratulations to you. Well deserved for you to get this promotion. Uh, you know, Dan's not going to get into it much because, you know, it's not his style, but he has been named the new manager for the Ohio digital optimization team. What that means is he's in charge of, uh, you know, the USA to network, uh, all of Ohio. And, you know, that's not just the beacon journal. Um, but you know, Columbus dispatch, uh, Cincinnati inquires some heavy hitters there. So, um, You've done a great job, man. And and honestly, like the stories that I'm trying to tell, like the people who do what Dan does and Dan leading everybody, like they help make sure that those stories get out there and they maximize our chances as writers to get those read and, um, you know, to keep the, the company going. So it's a huge role. Um, and, uh, you know, it it's it's a. It's definitely something that uh, I know you're going to do, uh, you know, great things with. I mean, you have all along. And so, you know, as much as I'm excited uh, to be doing something different, I'm excited that you're going to be, you know, continuing to move up uh, in the company. And it's really been an honor doing the podcast with you all these years. And, yeah, it's going to continue. Um, you know, we're just kind of passing the torch and we will, you know, both be uh, involved uh, just in a little bit different ways and, you know, continuing to, on my end, find those awesome stories and, and, and try to do the best I can writing them and reporting on them and Dan trying to get eyes on them. So uh, it goes hand in hand and uh, I appreciate everything you've done. And, um, you know, I can't think of a, a better person to be elevated into this position. I'm very fired up for you, man. Well, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to us pat ourselves on the back a little bit. I think uh, after, like Nate said, we have no idea how long we've done this. We think we may have started in 2015 or 2014. No idea how many of these we've recorded. Um, so, you know, we're going to pat ourselves on the back a little bit here. I think that that part of the podcast is over. So if you don't like... Uh, gushy feeling stuff i know i'm overcome with emotion right now you can tell in my very animated voice i'm sure um you know <laughs> thank thank you uh thanks and thanks everybody for listening i know some of you have been very uh dedicated listeners and and we cannot thank you guys enough um jim baker is the one who sticks out to me who has been our probably our most ardent uh listener and, and Jim, I, I know I do still owe you something for for listening all the way through a podcast once, and I still owe you something. I will 
I will pay my debts, I can assure you. And Nate, I will pay my debts to you on Swenson's whenever we actually get the time to go. So, um, yeah, it's weird. We're, uh, we, we've recorded a lot of these, um, like a ton. Mm-hmm. And I know the... <laughs> I was never the best at uh, making sure they sounded the best, but hopefully the content was always uh, enjoyable for for everybody listening. And my goal on doing the podcast was always to kind of, number one, help deliver the Browns news to people in in a way they want to get it delivered, but also to to give people some insight on to, you know, the inside stuff, you know, like how how Nate goes about his job and um, why the media works the way the media works. And I, I know that's not the it doesn't sound the most fun, but I, I think we we found a happy medium and how to do that over the years. Um, and, and oftentimes that meant um, talking about very difficult things, mostly because the Browns were terrible. Um, like Nate mentioned before recorded, they had that, the one in 31 string, um, Nate has covered eight Browns coaches over the years, which is remarkable. Um, so yeah, Nate, let's, let's go over some of, uh, some of the more memorable things while you're on the beat for a little bit. Okay. was there a game that that really stuck out to you that like this is the most memorable game you've covered i i have one if you want to think about that for a beat uh, that that i'll talk about quickly yeah, go ahead yeah mine was week three of 2018 and that was the baker mayfield debut game on thursday night football um, so you had all of the glitz and glamour and Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, a national viewing audience, see the Browns come back and beat the Jets. Now, I know it's the Jets and the Browns were not not the best that year. They were starting to turn it around that year, certainly. Um, but that, that was a year after they went 0-16. So that that to me was the the most fun game, the most memorable game the last 12 years or whatever, Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield running down the field, celebrating the whole thing. That to me was the game that, that, that has been the most memorable during your, your coverage. Yeah, that's definitely on the list. I've got a bunch. I don't know all the dates off the top of my head. Um, I think it was 2010 which would have been my first season on the beat the Browns with Colt McCoy um, beat the saints in, in new Orleans. I think David Bowens had like two interception returns for touchdowns, something uh, really memorable. Like that. I mean, it was, it was quite an upset. Um, and you know, I mean, that was whatever um, Eric Mangini four or five win team, um, but just the kind of the shock of that game, you know, stands out. Um, Josh Gordon, we were talking about Josh Gordon before we hit record because we were kind of figuring out when we might have started this thing based on Josh Gordon's suspensions, which is first 
full season. He misses 2015. <laughs> uh, right. So it's right, right around there. But Josh Gordon, the 2013, um, he played 14 games, but he had that 1,646 receiving yards, led the league. Uh, but he missed the first two games that year because of suspension. And that was what obviously the first in many suspensions for him. But what I remember is um, coming off that suspension, there was a ton of trade speculation because Joe Banner was the CEO at the time of the Browns. He was trying to trade Josh Gordon and got offers for him. And Jimmy Haslam vetoed the trade. Um, Joe, Joe Banner, will, he openly like discusses that now. But with all this trade stuff swirling and like national Sunday splash reports coming out um, before that game uh, that Josh Gordon came back from that two game suspension, it was in Minnesota, all this stuff swirling and Josh Gordon just goes out there and just dominates. Um, just has, it's just a crazy dominant performance coming off of suspension with all that stuff going on. Uh, just speaks to the talent on the field that he was, um, I mean, just absolutely a tremendous uh, football player uh, with you know, obviously we, we go on and on and on. And we have through the years about it's a shame that, you know, he wasn't able to fully capitalize on that. And, you know, other than that season uh, in 2013, you know, we haven't seen it on a consistent basis. So that one sticks out. Um, a couple of Brian Hoyer games stick out. There was the. The historic comeback in Tennessee, uh, I forget exactly how many points the Browns are down. They, they came back um, from a, you know, a lopsided margin and won. And then there was a Brian Hoyer game in Cincinnati. Um, this was, what, 2015? Um or 2014? It was, the, it was the Mike Petting year where they got off to – a good start and they were leading, they were in the driver's seat. Um, you know, I think tied for first in the AFC North, they started six and three, then went seven and four and then fell apart at the end. But when I think it was when they improved to six and three, they beat the Bengals in Cincinnati on national TV, you know, prime time. And the fans were chanting, uh, Brian Hoyer at Paul Brown stadium. And, um, I forget which analyst was it. The Deion that was, Sanders. That was 2014. The Browns yeah. won 24 to three in Cincinnati. Yes. And then somebody, um, afterward, they hit one of the networks had Brian Hoyer on for an interview and they were saying, pay the man, you know, obviously that <laughs> <laughs> didn't happen. Um, with, you know, Johnny Manziel and, and the Browns turning to him and that blowing up in their face. Um, those are some of the games. And then more recently, um, wow. You know, in that one in 31 stretch, the one stands out, uh, sure. because they, they won on Christmas Eve, um, to avoid in 20, that would have been 2015 to avoid Owen 16. Of course they went Owen 16 the next year or no, I'm sorry. That would have been 2016. Um, 2016 Christmas Eve 2016 they uh, Jamie meter blocks the field goal and then nope. and then the Chargers in Cleveland miss 
a field goal that would I believe would have tied it and sent it overtime. So the Browns win their their only game uh, that season, their first victory under Hugh Jackson. And I remember Joe Thomas just being so emotional after that game because it was just so hard to go through as a player. And he was such a great player. He gave it his all. They finally get the win. He's like, you know, tears of joy afterward. He comes to the podium and I asked him about Jamie Meter blocking that one of the field goals, you know, the one that was a little earlier in the fourth quarter, not the final one, but the one that was, um, you know, earlier in the fourth quarter. It was huge. It was a huge play. Um, they needed that and the miss to win. Um, and uh, Joe Thomas then dubbed Jamie Meter the uh, pierogi prince of Parma, which is just an all-time great quote nickname. Um, I'll never forget that one. And and then you know, I you were sitting right next to me, Dan. The Browns are beating the Steelers. Um, which has been so rare in the expansion era. Prime time, Freddie Kitchens, the coach, 2019. And then the the fight between Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph breaks out, you know, at the very end of the game when, you know, and, and just what a wild night that was from a, um, you know, reporter's perspective is a, is a, I mean, I did not sleep that night because not because, I was rattled by the craziness, but because I was working and writing the entire night, <laughs> stayed up. It was, a, it was a, one of the few all-nighters I remember and wrote the entire night and then was awake in the morning when the NFL handed down the suspension, uh, you know, on Miles Garrett uh, for hitting Mason Rudolph over the head with the helmet. Um, that I'll never forget. And then... You know, there were just there's a bunch of other ones, but, you know, the playoff win uh, in Pittsburgh, you know, I was there and it was it was weird because I had not traveled that. That was the covid year, uh, the first covid season. um, And I had not traveled because, uh, you know, the state of the pandemic made that very difficult. And, you know, you know, we have company policies and all these things. Um, so I was not flying, uh, like I had for almost every game. I, I, you know, tra- been lucky to travel to almost every Browns game, uh, except for that season. And, um, because it was in Pittsburgh, I was able to make the, the quick drive over to Pittsburgh and cover the game like I did the other games in Cleveland that year. And for the Browns to win a playoff game when they, you know, hadn't done so since, January 1st, 1995, and for them to be in the playoffs for the first time since the 2002 season, it, it was just, it was pretty cool to be there for that historic moment, but it was also surreal and weird and bizarre and odd because Heinz Field was virtually empty. I mean, because of the pandemic and, and the laws in Pennsylvania at the time with the COVID restrictions, it was limited to a family and friends crowd. So, there was almost nobody there, um, which just added to how bizarre and weird the whole thing was. But, um, you know, also made it more memorable in a way. Um, not many people were there. So I was fortunate to be one of them to be able to chronicle that. And, uh, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster gave the Browns that Browns is the Browns bulletin board material. 
uh, ahead of that game. And the Browns were not shy about, you know, throwing that in his face and then continuing to talk about it in the post game um, zooms. <laughs> there was no in-person news conference. So there was just so much packed into that. And uh, I think that's a good place to end it. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are some of the most uh, memorable Brown situations over the last several years. You, you mentioned Joe Thomas. You mentioned Miles Garrett. Um, the Browns have had plenty of notable quarterbacks uh, and continue to do so, I suppose. But is there one player that the Browns have had over over this period of time where that you just really enjoyed covering? Well, th- I mean, those guys are, are definitely on the list of favorite guys to cover just because <clears throat> you're talking about Joe Thomas, Miles Garrett being great players, but also being really interesting and also speaking their minds. And you can go to them and, and, you know, talk to them about a variety of topics and it's going to be an interesting conversation. And that's a writer's dream. You know, I mean, the, both those guys are quote machines and, um, you know, you, you got the ultimate package there when you got a great player on the field uh, who's, you know, interesting, um, you know, and, and, and gives great quotes and insight. Um, you know, you can't ask for more than that. So those guys are definitely there. And then Joel Batonio, um, you know, we've as a media corps uh, on the beat vote for a good guy award winner every year. And the good guy award goes to the player who's you know, cooperative and accommodate to the media helps us do our jobs. And the the award is named after Dino Lucarelli, um, you know, who is a, you know, long time, um, you know, Brown's media uh, liaison and, and really an advocate for the local beat uh, before my time. Um, so you can't rename the award, but if you could tack a name onto it, it could be Joel Batonio. He could literally win the award every year. Now, I've been against that because I do, I have wanted to spread the wealth a little bit and give other guys recognition. Uh, but Joel is just phenomenal um, to cover. Another great player um, who's always willing to help um, the media. Uh, he just gets it. You know, he gets it. We have jobs to do. Um, and he's a helping hand that way. And I got to say that as great as uh, a lot of guys have been to cover, Nobody has actually thanked me for my coverage except for Joel Batonia, which I mean, it, it just, you know, it means a lot. You know, um, these are jobs, you know, um, you know, they're really cool jobs. You get behind the scenes places. A lot of fans would want to go, um, you know, so I, I do consider myself very lucky uh, to have been able to do the job. Uh but also, you know, there's a lot of hours that go into it. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. There's a lot of sacrifices with, you know, family life and personal life mm-hmm. and things like that. And and I think Joel Batonio gets that, you know, NFL coaches, NFL players work extremely hard. Um, the hours are ridiculous for those people, especially the coaches. Uh, but I think he gets that the media that covers the NFL works really hard, too. And And, you know don't make NFL coach or NFL player money. So Joel kind of sees the big picture and how it relates to real life in the real world. And he thanks, you know, people who work hard and try to cover the team well and, you know, tell the stories of the players. So I I think that uh, that says a lot about him and the 
kind of the perspective that he has, um, you know, speaks a lot to his character and his maturity and personality. So, um, you know, I just got to give him credit for, for being such a, uh, resource. Um, because honestly, in my, and I know this is, this is from the reporter's view. Um, when you are sharing your story, uh, as an NFL team, as an NFL coach, as an NFL player, uh, when you're sharing it with the media, when you're open with the media, when you're helpful to the media, that benefits the fans. Um, that, you know, that's letting the fans get to know you. Um, and fans spend money to to watch you as players, to watch you as coaches, to watch the product on the field, uh, the product uh, put together by the team. Um, they buy jerseys, you know. So I think it is cool to, to let them in. And, you know, Joel is uh, – been the best at that and there's some other guys who are have been really really good too well said i mean just from my perspective you know far on the outside joel batonio is an absolute favorite um for for all those reasons and he's a hell of a player on top of all of it too we've talked about whether or not he's going to get some hall of fame consideration when his career concludes. And I, I think that the longer he plays, he's, he's not getting worse. So, you know, down the line, there, there might be a story to write about Joe Batonio getting the call from Ken, but Nate, I, I have a couple more topics and then, then we'll, we'll call it a day because I, I know we're known for a very long podcast. So thanks everybody who, who listens to them. What is the most brownsiest Browns moment that happened while you were on the beat? And by that, I mean, this is the team that did go 0-16, 131, countless losing seasons, lots of weird stuff, suspensions, uh, strange draft picks. Um, instances around some of the draft picks, namely the Johnny Manziel one. There, there's been a lot of very Browns is Browns kind of things that have happened while you were on the beat. The one that sticks out for me is Freddie Kitchens wearing the Steelers shirt in 2019. No, yeah, 2019. Yeah, the Brown, the Browns were playing pretty well. They were feeling themselves. Freddie Kitchens shows up to some restaurant wearing a shirt that one of his kids made, I think, saying something about the Steelers. That, to me, was the what the hell is going on around here? Or what the hell? What's the Vince Lombardi line? What the hell's going on around here? Yeah, that that to me was the most brownsiest Browns thing that happened while you were on the beat. Yeah, yeah. The, the, his daughters bought him the shirt. Yes. Steelers started it in reference to the Miles Garrett Mason Rudolph fight. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And that is, yeah, that's hard to top. I don't think I can top that one. Um, you know, certainly there are things during the Hugh Jackson, uh, years. I mean, just the whole rise of Freddie to begin with and how it was kind of foreshadowed on hard knocks with him speaking up in a meeting with, you know, Hugh Jackson running the meeting, Freddie Kitchen speaking up and saying that, like, you know, he didn't necessarily agree with 
kind of Hugh Jackson's plan for letting players rest during practices. Todd Haley siding with with Freddie in that meeting. <laughs> Hugh saying that he drives the bus. You know what I mean? That <laughs> that moment right there, you know, hard knocks sweeping in. And then Freddie talks to the media after that. He's a running backs coach at the time. Downplays the entire thing. Says that ha- that stuff happens all the time in meetings. And to some extent, I'm sure it probably does. But the way it played out after that with Hugh and Todd fighting, uh, all the dysfunction, them being fired on the same day uh, in that 2018 season. And then, you know, Freddie Kitchens becoming the, you know, offensive coordinator and Greg Williams, the interim head coach. And the the Browns going on a little bit of a a hot streak there at the end, go five and three in the last eight games. And then Freddie get the head coaching job. I mean, just that. And then for him to flame out and just be the one and done head coach with Odell Beckham Jr. coming to town and all that stuff, that right there, the whole Freddie rise and fall is like, a, a, that's a few books right there. I mean, that's that's kind of the whole thing. And and certainly uh, Steelers started it or Pittsburgh started it is kind of the you know climax there. Uh, it, it's it's a spectacular Browns is Browns stretch right there. Um, you know, the one thing with, uh, I'll say this is, it, this is kind of captures the, the craziness and the wild nature of, of the expansion era for the most part. Um, Johnny Manziel is known for a lot of things. And a lot of people who talk about Johnny Manziel always point to um, the, the, Basically, that he went AWOL from the team, uh, you know, while he was in concussion protocol and dressed up in a disguise and went around Las Vegas, uh, the club scene, and was calling himself Billy Manziel and wearing a fake mustache and wig and glasses and all that stuff. Um, that's a movie right there. I mean, it's going to be in a, a, I mean, the 30 for 30 ratings are going to be <laughs> off the charts. Um, they talk about the the swan. Um, you know, the, the photo with the swan, yeah. whatever bottle he had on the swan in the, in the pool. They talk about the money phone video. Um, and I, the money phone video was crazy because he was basically supposed to be on his best behavior at that time. Like Mike Pettin had kind of, yeah, kind of laid the law down like, Hey, you know, it, you know, Pettin wasn't as serious early on. Like it was like, okay, like guys are going to blow off steam. Guys are going to party. Guys are going to let loose. And then it got so out of control that Pettin like really kind of like tried to put the toothpaste back in the tube there with Johnny and say like, like, no, like this is out of hand. You can't, you know, we, we can't have you going out and doing this stuff. And then after that whole, you know, and Pettin was a quote machine in his own right, right. The most, um, you know, forthcoming coach that I covered. And and he, you know, basically made this known that these were the expectations for Johnny. And then the money phone video came out and like the day it came out or I think it was the day it came out, the Browns were doing stuff at the Cleveland Food Bank. I think it was around Thanksgiving. Um, They typically have players go and, and, you know, help with packaging up, you know, goods for uh, distribution uh, around Thanksgiving. And. Johnny Manzo was there, and I remember asking him, like, you know, because we don't – the video, is, it's one of those things. The video comes out. It looks crazy. 
you know, he, he can barely open his eyes. He's yelling into a stack of money like he's talking on the phone. Um, and, you know, but but when was that video shot? Right. I mean, they're just it's the, the, the traps of and the pitfalls of covering, you know, stories that are generated on social media and go viral. And, and so, you know, I was trying to ask Johnny Manziel at the, when he did the Cleveland Food Bay, we talked about the event and then, hey, you know, with this video coming out, um, you know, was that recent or is that an old video? And he said he did not know. And I said, hey, you know, I'm just trying to be fair to you here, giving you a chance to explain it. And he says, I, I, I really don't know. So I don't know if he remembered that video being made or if he was just saying he didn't know because he didn't want to admit that he, that, you know, he had done that the previous weekend or, you know, a day or two ago. I still don't know to that day, but that was wild. And, and, and everybody points to those episodes in the Manziel thing. But the Manziel episode that people forget about, which is the ultimate kind of crazy dysfunction, wild scene. Um, and it was there's some seriousness to it. So I don't want to you know laugh about it, but it's just it's it's an it's just a crazy the idea of this happening to an NFL quarterback is crazy. You know, he I, I forget all the details, so I don't want I, I just know there's a dispute between him and his girlfriend. And he went he left wherever they were together, an apartment or hotel. I forget, again, all the details. But. When he left. Uh, I believe that she, that that she made I think it was his ex girlfriend at the time that she had made a call to the police. Okay, the police took out a, a helicopter and and were flying around Texas, wherever they were. Maybe it was Fort Worth area. They were looking for Johnny Manziel with a police chopper. To me, that's the craziest Manziel story of all. I think that tops all. It's the, I think of the scene in Goodfellas where he's. <laughs> Well, seriously, where he's driving and he's looking and 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 the helicopter's flying overhead like. Like that was a Johnny Menzel moment where he's running around, uh, perhaps uh, on foot for part of it. And he's and they are searching for him with a police chopper like that. Nobody talks about that. Like that part has gotten lost in the shuffle because there's not like um, a video or a photo of it. Um, you know, he hasn't talked about that in podcasts like he has with the Billy Manziel stuff. But there's a police report about it and the police were open about, yeah, we broke out the chopper searching for him. And he was a Browns quarter. He was on the roster at the time. So, like, to me, that is the ultimate moment. And what I had I had to mute myself during a lot of that. What you were just saying, because I was laughing so hard. Um because it's just mind-boggling uh, that that actually yeah happened. yeah it's such a saga like i don't want to be one of those old people who says things like imagine if that happened now but imagine if a if an nfl quarterback is getting you know a, a police helicopter after him in today's day and age absolutely wild stuff uh nate i i cannot let you go off the podcast without one final round of predictions. Yes, it, it's it's still spring. Yes, mini camp just ended. By the way, there's full coverage of mini camp over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash browns. Thank you. 
but I do want to get you on the record. What what will be the Browns record for 2022? <laughs> Without knowing yes. uh, what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson, how many games he'll miss, if he misses I the mean, whole season or part of it. Do you want to make that a prediction too? How long do you think uh, Deshaun Watson's going to be suspended? Oh, geez. Well, I'll give you, I'll, I'll say this. If he doesn't play, um, well, let me, I'll give a couple sets of predictions then. So let's, okay. Okay. let's just say he doesn't, let, if, if he doesn't play in 2022, which was, you know, just to backtrack, because we've talked about this many times and I came out of the owners meetings in late March, the vibe from kind of the Browns and the league and the, you know, six to eight games seemed like what people were thinking. I mean, I wasn't, you know, a specific number. You can't nail it down. Nobody knows, but it just, you know, there was, there was a feeling that, you know, yes, he's going to get suspended, but um, you know, it's, it's not going to, you know, be a, a throw the book at you type situation necessarily. Um, you know, I chronicled in the podcast with Brent Schrodenboer from from USA Today um, that we did about all the, Desha- the Deshaun Watson situation and all the legal stuff. Um, you know, the, the, the Jimmy Haslam said that he, he thought when the legal process played out, Deshaun would be in a good spot and the Browns would be in a good spot and that the league would agree with that, uh, that that everybody's in a good spot. So there's uh, some optimism there. Since then, more lawsuits have been filed. Tony Busby, the attorney for the plaintiffs, has said on the record to multiple media outlets, including Chris Easterling, that more lawsuits are on the way. So, you know, we're up to 24 that have been filed now. And, it, you know, it was 22 when the Browns made the trade. It was 22 during those owner, owners' meetings when there was some optimism uh, kind of surrounding the situation. You know, there, there's been, um, you know, a, an HBO uh, Real Sports episode with two of the, uh, of the accusers speaking publicly on camera, um, you know, since, you know, the owners meetings and, and, and you know, this is just mounting. Things are continuing to roll here. Uh, New York Times with a with a story coming out that said it, it not not that not that Deshaun Watson used 66 um, uh, massage therapists. Um, you know, since what whatever the span was, 2019, but that he used at least 66. That the New York New York Times in its reporting uh, put the number at, at least 66. Uh, so yeah, all this has come out, right? So there's now a feeling that this suspension uh, could be, you know, more severe than than maybe the parties involved thought in in late March. So if he doesn't play in 2022, I think the Browns. Will win seven games. Um, you know, I think it's that big a difference. Uh, you know, if he plays a whole season, which you know I don't expect to happen, you know, I think that they are, you know, a a a ten eleven win team. Um, you know, even with uh, you know him shaking off rust potentially for missing a season, um, you know, I think that the the, the talent is is just so good across the board. I think this defense is really going to take a next step with, with not only the talent there again, but also some continuity. Um, remember how many of these guys were new last year, like Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett were like the only 
you know, full-time starters back. Um, and, you know, now a lot of the personnel's back. You know, they the Browns have their coordinators back. You know, now Kevin Stefanski's still going to call the offensive plays, but they have three coordinators back, um, you know, for a third consecutive season, unprecedented in an expansion era. So, you know, I think that they – if Deshaun Watson didn't have a suspension to deal with, that they would that they would win, you know, even with a tough schedule and a stacked AFC, I think they would win 11 games. Uh, I, so I said 10, 11. I'm going to go 11. Um, so I think, it would, you know, if he's suspended for the year, I think that's the difference. I think they go from an 11-win team to a 7-win team if you're turning to, you know, Jacoby Brissett as your starter there. Now, if he's – Suspended for part of the season, I think it's you know it falls in between there. You know, I mean, you know, let's say he does miss you know six to eight games, it you know you're probably looking at you know nine wins. You know, these are the kind of predictions I would make. And I'm I'm sorry, but you're not gonna if he misses six to eight games with the AFC as talented as it is with the quarterbacks in it, and I think it's gonna be such a tight race to get in the playoffs that I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs. So I think. For Browns fans who want to see uh, this team back in the playoffs, you know, it's I would not expect it in 2022 because I think Deshaun Watson will be suspended for at least part of the season, and therefore it's just going to be too steep a hill to climb, uh, you know, to to get in the postseason with his. Uh, I think the conference is just going to be so so tough and so good, um, and uh, you know. I think the margin for error is going to be very slim. Yeah, I, I think that that is spot on. I think the the margin for error in the AFC, no matter whether or not Deshaun plays, is is razor thin. Yeah. I man, it, my my prediction would be if he doesn't play at all, that. As really, as these things just continue to mount, and the narrative for the NFL gets worse, and that that's really what the NFL cares about, how it makes the NFL look. I I really have to wonder if he's going to get a full year suspension at this point, and if he does, I think the Browns are a six win team, and I think they become extremely one dimensional on offense, and. That, that is, a, they become such a run-heavy team that, that, that opponents can just figure out how to stop that. And it, it'll be hard to come back in games if they get behind, if, if, if you're relying on the backup quarterbacks. So no Deshaun, I'm going to say six. I think if he happens to play a full season, which I highly doubt, I would say 12. And if he gets that that six or eight game suspension, which, you know, some people seem to believe I, I would go nine as well. So six, nine, 12, depending on suspension length, which is right. What a, what a situation the Browns find themselves in, you know, we've, I think we've said it before. If, if this thing with Deshaun Watson completely blows up, what a monumental error by the Cleveland Browns. No draft picks, no money, no quarterback. And that's that's not the way to run an out of franchise is all. So Browns. Oh Browns. Yeah. Nate, 
we're we're right there in the same kind of ballpark with me going uh you know seven nine and eleven so um yep. it, it is that that's that's what we we basically refused to play the schedule game when the schedule came out like we normally yeah. give a record prediction then but until we know and and that's the thing like until we know the number of games Deshaun Watson's going to miss everything is up in the air this is a just a very very talented roster but that position i mean it's everything so i mean think about the receiving core right amari cooper four-time pro bowler and then the rest is you know guys who were you know unproven um at the nfl level over like a consistent long stretch so if you have donovan peoples jones as your number two you have david bell as a as a rookie in, in, in the slot um you know, I think the Browns think, well, we're going to be okay because, you know, if, if Deshaun Watson's the quarterback anyhow, he's going to make the receivers, the pass catchers better. You know, he's going to elevate them. But if he's not, it's Jacoby Brissett. You know what I mean? There's just a, such a um, monumental domino effect there if, if you're um, if you're dropping from a, a an elite talent at quarterback to a guy who's, you know, been a, a career number two um, but does have a, a decent amount of starting experience, you know, under his belt and has been the guy at times in his career. Um, you know, so not to take everything away from Jacoby Brissett, um, but you don't want him, you know, your starter for, for the full season. The Browns could be in that position. So I'm with you, Dan. I think we're right kind of in lockstep there with very similar predictions. Indeed we are. Anything else before we... We check out one last time. Uh, one last thing, um, you know, I do want to say that, you know, thank you for everything. And, you know, the kind words you said earlier about me, my run uh, on the Browns beat, um, very meaningful to me. Um, but I think a, a, something that a lot of people probably don't realize is how close and, and uh, tight knit the Browns beat is like I've got so many friends um on the browns beat who work for other news outlets obviously but we are really tight and i consider them um you know some of my best friends and and some there's just so many really good people on that beat who do so much good work and uh, if you go on Twitter, you, you probably won't hear that. You probably won't read that. You know, if you listen to talk sports talk radio in Cleveland, you know, they get trashed a lot um, by the radio hosts. Um, uh, the beat as a group, um, you know, does get dunked on a lot um, on Twitter and things like that. Uh, man, you know, I just think uh, <laughs> it's easy. It's easy. Uh you know, to kind of take those shots on the outside. But I think there are so many talented and great people uh, working the Browns beat. Um, you know, Scott Petrak is is a really good friend. Um, Mary Kay Cabot is a really good friend. Tom Withers is a really good friend. Um, you know, I've got, uh, you know, just people who have been supporting me, uh, obviously, with the Beacon Journal, great coworkers. Uh, and, and you're one of them, Dan. But I've also had the support of, of people on the beat more experienced than me who've been doing it for even a, a longer time. Um, in some cases, a much longer time than 12 seasons. Uh, and, you know, 
it, it just does kind of have a, a great camaraderie to it. I don't think a lot of people know that. Like, you know, when we go out to on the road, we're eating dinners together, you know, obviously pre-pandemic. Um, things haven't been the same since then. Um, but, you know, I hope they get back to it. And, uh, you know, we do stuff with each other's families and things like that. And uh, that's, that's you know, something that I'll, I'll definitely miss. But I'll still be around, so I'll still get to see um, – you know some of those people who i've grown really uh, close to but yeah there there really is a, a great camaraderie i mean dan lobby and, and and zach jackson i've known for years I'm, there there's some really good people in there some some hilarious people very hardworking, very smart so i just want to because the browns beat gets bashed so much i just want to kind of um let everybody know that uh you know i know what goes into it and i can tell you that um, those people are really uh, dedicated and um, doing great work, and they are, you know, very committed to to covering the team, uh, you know, and, and and telling the stories. I'm certainly not the only one, and I, I thank them for, um, you know, just friendship and, uh, you know, support and uh, camaraderie. I didn't want that to go unsaid because. Um, there's a huge element of that behind the scenes that I don't think uh, most people are aware of. Yeah, the, I was fortunate enough. You let me into the press box for the 2019 season. It was something I'll I'll never ever forget for the rest of my career. Um, easily a highlight and a, and a big thing for me. So thank you for doing that. And the, the one person whose name does need to be mentioned is our colleague Marla Ridenauer. Um, man, she's the best, just the best. Uh, Nate, I know you think very highly of Marla. George Thomas, our coworker, is great. Steve Georgeshuk is is great. Um, we we have some great folks. Marla, uh, especially the best, absolute best. So, yeah, yeah. no doubt. Um, you know, being able to do the beat, um, with her helping me transition into it more than a decade ago. And, um, you know, being able to help me throughout the entire time has been an honor. Uh, she is truly a Hall of Famer, um, and, and she's actually in Kentucky and Ohio uh, <laughs> Journalism Hall of Fame now. So, like, right. it's not, uh, that's not like a figurative uh, statement. Um, yeah. So she is definitely when I'm talking about coworkers. And she knows um, how much she means to me. Um, and, and there are so many others, editors. So, yeah, thanks for everybody. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Um, it, it's been an honor to to do this beat and to, to have you guys listening, to have you guys reading, to have all the support from, from people who I work with, uh, people who, you know, work for the other, um, you know, media outlets. Um, it's been a great ride and looking forward to continuing, uh, but doing some different stuff, branching out and really kind of finding out um, how good of a storyteller I can really be. Yeah, it, it's going to be great. So that is going to do it for cover two for Nate and I. Uh, make sure you're following Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich. You probably know that by now. Make sure you're following Chris on Twitter. He's C Easterling ABJ. Uh, he's going to do a great job on the beat. 
and we'll see what happens uh, with the podcast. You know, there, there's some some discussions on who might be doing it. Whoever it is, they're going to do great. Um, neither Nate nor I will be uh, that far away anyway. You know, you can you can get at us on Twitter all all you want or wherever, and make sure you are reading Nate's stuff because it's really wonderful. And please do, if you do not, consider supporting local journalism. If you're listening to this uh, immediately after I post it and you're not a subscriber, we have a deal coming up. It's $2, I think, $22 for two years. Yeah, that that launches um, the week of the 20th. So please do consider subscribing to your local newspaper. Please do consider uh, giving us a nice rating on Apple for one last time. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. You know what? We will not talk to you next time.